Welcome back, everybody, to an awesome episode of The Lawn Feed. I'm your host tonight, Vince from Rulonco, and with me is Andrew from the Dad Bot Lawn tonight. Uh, Chris could not join us, but that's okay, because um, he'll catch us on YouTube later with you guys. Um, don't forget to check out our uh, merch store. Uh, we have a website. Uh, the website hosts our blogs. It has our podcasts that you can listen to on the way to work, um, and also has some premium t-shirts where it's guaranteed to increase the greenness of your lawn, uh, and Spin might be able to, to voucher for that. So, uh, side note, and more importantly... We have a very special guest with us tonight. Uh, it's, uh, I was telling him before the show, it's it's kind of crazy to have him on the show uh, and be able to talk to two random guys that just love their lawn. So uh, with us tonight, I'm going to read through this. We have someone that's recognized, uh, highly recognized for over 44 years in turf, starting back in Kansas City as an assistant to George Toma the sod father and has many roles within the professional turf industry, including working for his groundkeeper for the North Carolina or the, or the Carolina Panthers, the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he's often re referred to as the best groundskeeper head groundskeeper at that in the NFL. Uh, he's installed fields internationally. Uh, his resume is extremely impressive uh, and, and really when I was going through this, I was like, I could do a whole show just on, on his resume alone um, and what he's done for professional turf. Uh, but in a nutshell, uh, I saw something on there that I really liked and said he can build an efficient and top producing grounds and landscaping crew and NFL uh, game fields from scratch to final form, possibly better than anyone out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can't give him a round of applause. So everyone hit the like button in, in place of a round of applause for spin Martin. Thank you. Woo. Uh, spin, you have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's pro turf talks. Uh, yes, that, that, that's just a, a talk show that we do on the pro turf talks discord and the lawn tools and some other guys are the MCs on that. So when we get some topics that everybody wants to talk about, we have it usually on Tuesdays and uh, then it airs on, uh, on YouTube. Okay. And then on that discord, you guys talk about everything like warm season, cool season, fertilizers, you name it, you have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody's on there all the way from uh, some NFL guys, some major league guys, some uh, major league soccer division one, uh, sports people that's on there. Uh, we have professors on there, uh, like people that, that make the grass and invent the grass and, and study grass. Uh, so there's a lot of varieties of professionals on there to answer everybody's questions that comes up on that, that Discord. And it's free. Uh, you go to my bio and, and my Twitter or Instagram and download it and, and get on and start asking away or read the other stuff that's been on there in the past. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. There's so much information on there. Yes. And hopefully so, helpful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've uh, gone down some rabbit holes on there. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. If I can't answer the questions, you know, there's somebody like you might have something on there that, hey, I've tried this and it worked. And you put your, your two cents in there, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very valid place to go to to get some answers to some stuff. And if, you know, a lot of people can't answer, there's always someone in there that, that can. Right. Well, Spin, it is an absolute honor to have you on. Thank you. Um, like we talked about, we do a Dad W and L segment on this show. <laughs> and uh, as people can probably guess, with 44 years of turf experience, your kids are older. Uh, you, you said you have uh, two kids in college and one that has graduated. Yeah. Um, this yeah. portion of the podcast is brought to you by Forefathers, a polo company that is elevating dad apparel. Uh, and the OG of the Turf Dad Polo. If you use the code the lawn feed, you can get 20% off your complete order at shopforefathers.com. Now, Spin, your kids may be older, but I'm sure there's still wins and losses that still occur. Do you have any that come come to mind for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the wins are naturally, you know, having three kids, 
you know, and watching them, watch them go to college and, and accomplish all the things that they've done. And none of them are in turf, but uh, <laughs> so I, I lost oh. that. But, uh, you know, some, some of the losses were uh, spending a lot of time away from home. You know, that's that's one thing I regret, you know, working on, on NFL fields. And, and it was nice because uh, before we had kids, me and my wife got to travel all over the world for the NFL. And every trip that I made, except the Jan- Japan trip with George Toma, he would come in much later. But, yeah, that's that's probably the loss that I had is not spending the time, you know, with the kids as they were growing up and missing all those first things that they do. So that's that's one thing I regret. Yeah, for sure. That's totally understandable. Um, kind of piggybacking off of that, how many Super Bowl fields crews have you been a part of over the years? Well, I've been on uh, 14 Super Bowl crews. So my first one was actually in your home state, Super Bowl 16 in oh. uh, Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, Bear, I mean, uh, Bengals against the 49ers. And I never, never knew that it would rain inside that stadium. Uh, <laughs> but it did. It rained every day that we were there inside the stadium. So uh, go figure that one out. But anyway, right. uh, so 14, well, the reason why it rained is because they turn the heaters off. And all the moisture go to the top of the little plastic, you know, dome. Yeah, there and sure. turn the heaters on when we came in and it would just start raining. Condensation. Oh, oh, no. Condensation, you know. <laughs> That's bad. We had to cover the end, uh, the end zones. Uh, and that field was, uh, it was actually, it was a little bit long. <laughs> so from all the stretching, because they would take half the field out and put the field, I mean, the courts down for Detroit Piston games and draw that curtain right. across. So that part of the turf would get stretched. Huh. But, uh, we made it work. Uh, we had to, we had to race some lines and put some lines down and stuff like that. But yeah, 14 of them. And my 15th Super Bowl was, uh, a participant with the Colts. So Got to go cool. there and, and do all that stuff. But uh, yeah, that was nice. I no, can imagine reason. those are, sorry, I can no, imagine those are long days. Oh. Uh, you mean working, working, working the grounds for the Super Bowl? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you, if you go back to my Twitter, you'll see old pictures of our crew. And it was just uh, six guys from Kansas City. Whoa. There was uh, Chip, Chip Toma, Andre Bruce, Wilford Bruce, Doug Schellenberg, who's still in Kansas City, and I think he's assistant to uh, uh, Travis Hogan, Scotty Martin, and me. No relation to Scotty Martin, but and me and that and George Toma, and that was it. And we've done, oh gosh, we did a lot of Super Bowls with just that crew. Uh, later on in the years, we brought some more guys in and stuff like that. But it was a, it was a small crew, and I don't know what the crew is now. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really grown, you know, huge crews, but I would always have to go in and, and, and find practice fields for the AFC or the NFC teams, you know, and if, if it's a bad shape field, but it had great location to the stadium that we were playing at, we would redo the whole field. We would come in wow. like LA and redo everything, take it down 18 inches and redo everything just for one week of practice. And that's how much they're stressing on player safety. So no matter what the feel was like, we had to take it out and, and redo it. So for our listeners, when you say take it out, you're removing this, you're removing, you know, a couple inches of, you said 18 inches or? Well, and we would go down to 18 inches if we okay. had to, like USC, we had to go in there and take a whole field, not, the, not one whole field that was on the side. It was kind of an old line, D-line area. We took it all the way down. But other than that, we would go in and we'd resod if we had to, so then we would strip it. Back in that back in that day, we'd have a core row machine that just grinded up and threw it in a, a trailer. So we would have to have some bulldozer and sod cutter and, and cut it all out. And I would go in and do that like in October, November ish, and then I'd go back to Kansas City and, and wait it out. Then then we'd pack up and go back. And and we we were there for sometimes 30, 35 days, getting everything ready wow. for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Now, do you have a preference between? types of sod like uh there's you know the the thinner sod or the thicker cut sod uh which one did you yeah which one so did the, you think was better the thick cut sod and not too many people realize this is george Tone invented that so there was a get there was a there was a playoff game so i went to california and uh at the rose bowl and i picked out my sod at west coast sod and that was a sod that was going to go in uh to redo the rose bowl for a super bowl game and the 49ers had a problem with thurfield a candlestick so George actually borrowed that sod to put into there in the in the 49ers, you know, with the, the famous catch of I think it was Dwight Clark in the end zone. 
yeah. Did I have it right? Uh, with Joe Montana. Uh, that was the first time thick cut sod was used. It was that candlestick. You could lay it down and play it the same day. So Ed Warner came up with uh, he came up with a magnum uh, harvester that would cut it like two inches thick, and then he had an installer that he made uh, to to lay it to install this thick cut uh, turf. You know, I don't know if you guys know the Eddie Warner machine was uh, had the big rolls and you stood on it like a platform, like a stand on, and you would roll it out. And now nowadays there's so many different varieties of those. You know, different type of different companies are making them, but that was the first time thick cut sod was being used, and you can lay it and play it the same day if you had to, and that's yeah. what there. So that's that's where that's where you know George Toma brought to the table in that game there. That's impressive. Yeah, but nowadays you know they're growing on all plastic. You know, a lot a lot of the Bermuda is grown on plastic, so it starts off with a you know sand layer on regular nine mil plastic, or it can be heavier. Uh, and then they, they sprig it and then they add sand, let it grow, keep adding sand and let it, you know, keep growing. And the roots just go down and turn back up and just keeps getting thicker and thicker. And it just makes a real binding uh, type of soil there. Uh, makes it really nice. Like the Chicago Bears, they had Toma 31 that was growing on plastic by Chad Price. Uh, that, you saw that field. Not one did it. That's how well it holds together. So nowadays it's a whole new technology on sodding is grown on plastic, uh, which gave, gets gives people a lot of huge advantages on a, a nice surface, you know, for a field to be played on in good footing. Now, could be a dumb question, but if it's grown on plastic, does the cutter then go underneath the plastic, or are you cutting above the plastic? You know, I don't, I don't really know how the, the whole process works because a lot of people keep it as a secret. But I would <laughs> think that the roll would just stay there, and you would just cut it long ways and roll and then cut it. Yeah. You know, when you're un when you're you're uh, installing it, you would just peel the plastic off like it was netting. You know how they have netting on big rolls? You yep. just have to yep. go and take the netting off. I think that's what they would, you know, that's when they get rid of the plastic. So well, you mentioned uh, sprigging. I, I'm familiar with what it is, but it's a warm season grass thing, right? Um, yeah. Can you just kind of explain what sprigging is real quick? Well, sprigging is part of the plant that's uh, that's that's vital that, that that's vile that's in the soil. So you got rhizomes and stolons. But if you take those out of the ground, so if you can imagine a verticutter, a little bit more separation from a verticutter, maybe maybe two inch to three inch centers, and they're just metal bars, and they're, they're you're mowing your your field with it, your Bermuda field, and it just pulls up all these tufts, right? And you'll see it's a string and it has little knots, and we, those knots are called notes. So that that's that's a sprig. So you can take that sprig and put it on the ground, lightly cover it with sand, and it will grow. So that's how a lot of farms, sod farms, get Bermuda to grow. You know, when a new a new variety comes out, they just get a bunch of sprigs from somebody, and they might have a 500-square-foot plot, a real small plot, but they get all these sprigs out, and you can spread it over two acres and start your sod farm that way. You know, it just keeps growing. So it's really, it's, it's really lucrative because when you go and cut the sod, you don't cut all the stolons and rhizomes out of it, so you just walk away from it, water it, fertilize it, and then boom, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks later, you got enough grass to cut it again without seeding it or sodding or sprigging it. So, That's yeah, sprigging is just part of the plant. You know, there's other ways you could do that with warm season. I know I'm talking kind of fast here, but You're good. when you go and core aerate your Bermuda, I take my cores, and if I have a low spot somewhere else, I just dump them and water them. And that's the best way because they've got that soil there on that little plug that's going to hold that moisture for you so it won't dry out. So you don't have to water as much and you'll have grass covered with, with cores and you can spread cores out in your yard if you wanted to, you know, and they hmm. just water and it'll grow. Man, I wish I had warm season grass right about now. <laughs> yeah, pretty good stuff. That is pretty awesome. Hey, I want to rewind just a little bit. We keep mentioning the name George Toma and I think a lot of people out there have heard about George Toma as of recently because of the Super Bowl. Uh, this was his last Super Bowl, I believe, as working on the grounds team. And if you watch the Super Bowl and follow places like Barstool Sports and any kind of place that's been talking about it all over online, there there was some issues with the grass slipping and stuff like that. And George Toma's name continues to come up. And I, for one... I know his legacy and what he has done for 
sports turf and turf grass in general. And I wanted to give you an opportunity just to kind of talk about George Toma and what it was like to work with him, his resume, and what his legacy should be um, instead of what he's being portrayed for. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great to work for him. Um, you know, he taught me a lot, along with uh, Dr. James Watson, um, the agronomist uh, for the NFL for years, and he, he passed away years ago. But uh, it was really it was really you know good to work for him, and he took me under his wing and, and pretty much taught me everything that he knows. You know, and I traveled the world. My wife and his wife, they, we all traveled, and, and his uh, his young kid back then was Ryan call him Rye Rye, but he's much older now. He's not still on the Super Bowl crew. Can't believe how old he is. But anyway, it just means I'm getting older. But yeah, it was really, it was really good to work for him because with him, you know, he done the very first Super Bowl. And then uh, Pete Rosell asked him to do the very next Super Bowl, even though the Chiefs weren't in the second Super Bowl. And that's how that legacy started with him. And he was always a, a really good grass guy. Not too many people realize this. Back in the day at Royals, we had artificial turf. It was called tarpon turf. It was more of a carpet than it was a poly, polyurethane uh, fabric, right? So it was actually like a, a fabric, really. Um, I know, probably not making sense, but right now, but anyway. And the Chiefs had the same thing. So that's what he, he did. It. And when everybody looks at him and say, wow, that's all he did was artificial turf for the first 12, 16 years for the Royals. But we also did the practice fields for the Chiefs. And we didn't have warm season back then like Travis Hogan has now. We had ryegrass. Now, I don't know if you can imagine having ryegrass in Missouri. It's the worst thing possible, you know. The worst thing possible is to have ryegrass because, you know, the humidity there in Kansas City, it gets hot. It gets hot there. So we had to spray fungicide every 7 to 14 days, wow. you know. So he got, he got pretty hard. But, you know, he taught me everything he knew. He took me, he took me under his wing. Uh, my mom and dad would usually pick me up after a game, you know, because I, I worked, uh, I think it was $2.10 an hour. And then when I worked a game, it was $10. Flat fee. No matter if it went extra innings or not, it was $10. Oh, wow. <laughs> one day, I don't know, we went extra innings, and I was sitting at the top of uh, gate one, waiting for my dad to come by to pick us up. But a taxi came by, and George Toma came up with his little Datsun trunk. He had this little Dotson trunk. You guys ever seen Dotson trucks? But they later turned into Nissans. But anyway, he came up to the top of the hill, and he's like, uh, "What are you guys doing?" And I said, "We're waiting for a taxi." And he said, "Wow, what does it cost to get home?" And I said, "About twenty-two dollars," because we lived north of the river then. So the next day, he said, "You know, you you made less than what you paid for that taxi." And from that day forward, he. Uh, you know, he asked me, why, why, why did I just come to work? And I said, because it's work and I need the money and my parents need the money. And uh, at least I still have a job, you know, even though I lost money that day. From that day on, he took me under his wing, you know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what it was, but he, he took me under his wing and uh, taught me a lot of stuff, you know. And there's so much stuff that, that, that I still know that I, you know, keep inside here. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, was a, it was a good, good fortunate you know, good fortunate thing how I got that job. So it was, it was nice. That's yeah. awesome. It's a really cool story. Um, do you want to touch on anything about this year's Super Bowl and your thoughts on what uh, I, I know Jordan from the Lawn Tools actually just released a video after talking with you and kind of your theory on it, but I wasn't sure if you yeah. wanted to touch on that just briefly and kind of, uh, kind of, yeah, just, so just give your thoughts. Yeah, let, let me go through the program of the, of the NFL during a week of the Super Bowl, okay? It used to be we used to have two weeks off, and they and, and uh, so we would have a little bit more lead time and everything. Else. But now, I mean, you still have the, you still have the two weeks off, but the players get in, they, either they fly in Sunday night or Monday morning, and then uh, they go to the hotel and get all that set up. Tuesday is set up for press day. So – uh, the players get to go there. They all do, you know, like I think it, I think it was three hours. You get three hours on the field, take pictures, have your family come down in the stands. They talk, they ask questions from the press and they answer them and stuff like that. And then the next team comes in. So the field was put in, right? The field was put in the stadium, and I don't I don't think it ever went out. I think it was brought in Tuesday. George says it was brought in Monday, uh, Wednesday, but I don't I don't think it ever went back out. 
So I know it has a little bitty dome on the top or opening on the top, but if you can imagine this time of year, the sun's over here and it's coming across and the, the amount of wind the amount of sunlight you get to that little opening at the top is very minimum. You know, it's just like a flash in a pan. So I think that was the issue and no one's to blame. No, the, those guys that do the Super Bowl, they know what the hell they're doing. Right. You know, they're the best of the best all around the nation. It's, it's so much different that, you know, you have one turf professional there, you know, like George Toman that's, that has all the notoriety, right? You have a bunch of guys that are on that group and that team that know what they're doing. You know, they travel the world and do the American Bowl games, just like I did back in the day. It was just me and George that traveled around and stuff. But uh, now they got all different teams and everybody has the same experience. So if you look at that, that aspect of it, it's not what they did wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. It's just that, I don't know if you saw that, that YouTube that I did with, uh, or that Jordan did. I gave him a video on how they had to build the stands in that one end zone where it comes in and out. Yeah. They got two cranes in there. They got two cranes, right? And those cranes got to be sitting somewhere. What's well, probably where the field's coming in and out to build the stands. And I don't know the Super Bowl, if they still put seat cushions on every seat, they give you, I have tons of them up in my attic, where they give you a little seat cushion to sit on during the game. You have to put those out and you have to number the seats because most of those were bleachers and stuff. So I think the field, I think it, uh, I think when it when it was brought in, and you know, I'm not pointing any fingers or anything like that. And no one's to blame, really. No one's to blame. I don't know what all this bickering's about, but it, right. no one's to blame because, you know, if it was me, the field needs to be watered. It's brought in, right? And you're thinking it's going to go right back out after this press day. It's going to go right back out and get a lot of sun. We're going to retouch it up outside. You know, we're going to mow it outside. We're going to do all that outside. And I don't think it went back out because maybe somebody upper or higher than them that makes the decision says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's got to stay in here because we got to do what we need to do on the end zone to get get it ready for game. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, and the halftime yeah. show and all that stuff uh, they had. To... Yeah, but that happens every year. Yeah. And we're prepared for that. You know, right. we, we tarp yeah. it, we do whatever we can to do that. We're, we're there to prepare for that, you know. And the water coming up and stuff like that, it uh, – it wasn't too wet. In my opinion, when I watched the game and I saw the divots, it was, it was pregame. It was actually before they came out and started doing stuff. I saw the field on TV and I told my wife, there's going to be some problems. From what I just saw from the two-yard line to the goal line, uh, I said, you know, it's, it's something's not right. But um, it's not it, – it wasn't too wet. I know even though you even though you cover it, when you cover it, it's like taking a, taking a jar and you put a plastic – uh, saran wrap on the top and you put it out in the sun or in the heat, all the mm -hmm. moisture that's in that jar is going to come to the top, right? So when you cover it, the moisture does get drawn to the top of the base of the bottom of the, of the tarp. But once they took it off, that means that first half inch is even drier because it, all the moisture came up and then it, it, it dried on the top just by regular air. So I just think that it didn't have enough sunlight. And next year's Super Bowl is going to be in Vegas, and it's a little bit different setup, I believe. I think they have a the the stands are, are set in stone, and the field rolls underneath it. Now I could be wrong. I could be wrong, like I was with Philadelphia when when I when when Jordan said that the Philadelphia had uh, DD grass mist uh, system, the stitching system in the Tahoma to hold mm -hmm. it together. Mm -hmm. It's an artificial brand that goes in, gives you better footing, mm -hmm. which he had in two thousand, I think nine. And Tony Leonard had to say, hey, wait a minute, we, didn't, we don't have that on our Tahoma. But what they have for, is for Philly. Tahoma. For Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. And I also thought that Philadelphia played on Tahoma 31, you know, and knew what kind of type of cleat they can wear. So they, that's, they, they knew that the field was 31. So and, it, and, and I think they oversee with perennial right, too. Like basically yeah. the same yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So every year they do the same thing. They didn't go out there and throw down more seed and say, whoa, you know, we, we need to seed more and, and make it full of rye. <clears throat> I think when it didn't go back outside, the plant usually gives up the energy to the soil and starts pumping the leaves with a lot of moisture so it can collect a little bit of sunlight, you know, and then, and then be happy and then start growing roots again. I think all the moisture went to the top. That's why you saw some grass stains. It wasn't the field was not dyed. And the painted areas are tacky. They are grippy. They are not slippery. They don't use high gloss paint. It's flat latex paint. 
Yep. You know, turf paint is flat latex. Um, so it's not slippery. It's none of that. The only, the only problem that I saw that it probably didn't go back outside, you know, before the game. So next year, hopefully it stays outside and they bring it in. I would paint a field on the, on a, on the, uh, the cement. When the field's gone, I would line a field and they can practice on that cement all they want. You know what I mean? The halftime rehearsal and do all that stuff, leave the field outside. When they, when they get done, bring the field in, maybe give them one go with the field down Great. and then put it back outside and leave it outside until the very last second, bring it in. I bet you'll have a, a different turnout. Now, if anybody's confused about the taking out and bringing back in, uh, Arizona and Las Vegas, I believe those are the only two NFL stadiums that have this really cool technology where the entire field can actually be brought in and out of the stadium. And so it's natural grass, and obviously natural grass does better outside in its natural environment. So in this scenario, the field was brought in and kept inside for four days prior to this huge beating that it took by these huge players. Uh, the biggest game of the, the game of the year. So, yeah, I totally understand how that could have could have been a real issue for sure. Yeah, and I think that's why Philadelphia didn't change the cleats. I think they felt confident because they played on Tahoma 31 all season. Mm-hmm. Grown on plastic. This stuff was grown on plastic. The Chiefs played on Northbridge, uh, which is totally different than Tahoma. I've got both. I've got Northbridge in my front yard, and I got Tahoma at work. Uh, I've got 110,000 square feet at the home at work. It's totally two different types of animals and the, the growth patterns and everything else. It's, it's totally different. So it, it, uh, I think the chiefs were, I think they, they had to wear different cleats for what they were used to being on the North bridge than it would be the Thomas. So I think that's the only difference. And, and a lot of chiefs player changed cleats. I don't know what they were talking about on, you know, on Twitter. And stuff. Yeah. Any little things that they can pick out, they're going to pick out and make a, yeah. make yeah. a fuss over. Yeah. I think it just comes down to they didn't have the lawn feed swag on. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, well, while we're on the professional turf side of things, um, you know, we are DIY lawn dads. So we learn DIY. We uh, try to do our best to reading extensions, uh, not just everything that we hear on YouTube. Um, but are there some similarities between what you're seeing um, homeowners doing on their turf and what professionals are doing on, the, on their turf? Or are we kind of getting it wrong and using a little bit too much or too less of some things? In a, in a nutshell, what, what's what's your take on that? Yeah, it depends on how, how much you want to make your yard look, you know, like the best yard in the neighborhood. But no, I think, I think, well, you, you know, the lawn tools, he, he, Jordan, you know, he, he top dresses like the pros do. Well, I actually puts way too much more than we do. He buried his. <laughs> My neighbor down the street, Barry, uh, he buried his. So I guess he must have saw Jordan's YouTube. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't see glass for four weeks. And I said, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. listen. This, and he's got latitude, 36, but uh, he real mows it and he feeds it. The only difference between what I do for for sports turf and what the homeowner does, yours is mainly aesthetics. You go out there and you look at it and you say, man, that's green. And I want to stripe the heck out of it, right? I don't care what color it is. I'm, I'm worried about the footing. So when you watch a football game, you watch the pass get caught in the hands. I'm watching their feet and how they leave the how they leave the turf. That's what that's what I watch, and that, that's that, that that's nice. going to be embedded in me. You know, it's how the cuts made and everything else, and how well that that root zone is holding up. But you know, between the the, the homeowner and what I do is is it's aesthetic versus all fertilization. I got to build everything up from the ground up. You know, and and most homeowners like to spray iron and and their fertilizer and get everything nice and pretty and green and watch the watering, you know, and stuff like that. And you guys on the homeowner side can overwater, you know, you don't have no problem. You know, if kids are playing to say, Hey, stay away from this wet area. But with me, I, I, I don't have that luxury. If I overwater, I'm, I'm kind of messed up, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that so basically everything else is basically the same though. You know, the way you mow it, the way you uh, airify it, if you're going to do a solid time, the other thing George, George told me that it was a solid time. Everybody said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Right. So the hollow cores, taking the cores off, top dressing, fertilizing, it's just a different process of how we do things. You know, a lot of people will do it a little bit different. 
you know, some people like to top dress and then choreate, you know, it, it's, it's whatever works for them and what type of turf they got. And warm season to me is a heck of a lot easier to take care of than cool season. You know, you can make a lot of mistakes with warm season and still get by and, and, and be a genius to the neighborhood. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Now, like you just said, warm season is what you're super familiar with and that you, you prefer. Now, we are cool season guys, so we don't know anything about warm season. So we like to cater to the cool season guys. But since we have a warm season expert on the show, all these guys that have homes down south that are just coming out of winter dormancy and they're starting to get their season going as we're still under a foot of snow up where I am, right? Uh, what uh, what advice do you have for them kind of get to wake up their lawns and what are the first few steps that they should be doing? You know, everything like a warm season grass, no, I'm, I'm talking – Bermuda wise, St. Augustine, I, I, I'm not real good on St. Augustine or Zoysia. That's totally different than Bermuda. You know, most of the plant lives on top. Uh, Bermuda, what you want to do is you want to get, you want to scalp it down right now. If you got any green in your Bermuda, and if you don't have anything popping through, that's green, you can kill everything that you want to kill in your Bermuda with Roundup. Right. Uh, and back in the day, we used to burn it. We used to get rid of all that fat. You know, nowadays you have to scalp it, blow it, scalp it, and get it all down because you want to almost get down to dirt, right? So everything on top of Bermuda is, is normally dead. It's just it's just wasted, you know, you just want to burn it and get rid of it or scalp it down. And then, you know, use a little bit higher nitrogen, anything higher than a 28, you know, nitrogen. Don't worry about uh, leveling off on your first app, you know, but you, you can uh, aerate it. You can verticut it, you know, and all and scalp it. You can do all three things at once, and you can even top dress it lightly and then hit it with some high nitrogen fertilizer, and, uh, and it should give it a kickstart. But you also got to watch your pH, okay? A lot of people, the most important thing, if your pH is out of whack, you're not growing anything, right? I mean, you can get by with it. So the, no matter what your pH is, you, the, the amount of nutrition that you're getting is like a bandwidth. You know, it's like dial-up for internet if, you're, if your pH is off, if you think of it that way. But if your pH is between 6.4 and anywhere close, maybe 6.8 in that range, and this is probably all different types of grass for cool season and warm season, if you can get in that window, your bandwidth is going to be a, like a terabyte. You know what I'm saying? So everything is going to be available to that plant. Another way, another way of putting it is if your if your pH is off, it's like taking a battery, like a nine volt battery, and sticking it on your tongue. It's almost like that towards the roots that are down there. They, they just have no option; they can't grab any nutrients because it's not open. All the all the windows and doors on the root is not open enough, right? So the pH is most important. If you get your pH right, then everything will fall in line. Your disease suppression will be better. Every everything will be you know, your fertilizer. So another telltale sign is if you see your yard in cool season and warm season, and it looks awesome after a good rain, a good rainfall, you know your pH is out of whack because the rain is usually 6.4 pH. So, you know, when that's applied in your – I don't know if you've ever seen this or noticed this, you know, and witnessed this, that after a good rain, your yard's really nice and green, and then it kind of – Oh, I really needed that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's the pH. It's the pH. Well, there's other tricks. You know, if you got money, you can get an acid system put in your irrigation system like it did in Carol. I mean, uh, for the Colts, you know, because the pH, it was just terrible. It was all clean. That's right. You, you installed a whole system for the pH, just, yeah. just adjusting the pH. And it, it yeah. took it down like from what, 8.9 to yeah. 6.4. Now, I didn't change wow. the soil pH too much, but I changed the way I delivered the water. Mm-hmm. And with that being changed, when I soaked it, it just all the roots opened up and absorbed everything that was left in the mm-hmm. soil. You know, it it's was a temporary a thing. Yeah, it was a world so of do, difference. So, yeah. do you think homeowners should test their home water to know what their their, their irrigation water? If you don't have the resources to do anything about it, it it's not really going to help you. You know what I'm saying? Okay, if you don't sure. have a, a couple thousand dollars extra a year to to put it on, and you have a separate, you know, main and a backflow and everything set up. Because I know growing solutions, they'll be glad to put a little system in your garage. You know, I used a 55-gallon <laughs> drum, and every three months, and I had three grass fields in, in, in Indy, and every three months they'd come over from Chicago and fill it up. So it just uses just very minute amounts, you know, and I had one that dialed. I can dial it, and I had a reader, a pH reader hooked into my main. So I played around with it, you know, because I had bluegrass first. I had 3D sod blade bluegrass, and then I switched it all to Patriot Bermuda 
uh, towards the last five or six years of my career there. So, yeah, so I dial it down to 4.5 and got rid of my fungus. I mean, I just did all kinds of weird things with that little dial, you know. So could you add like when you're doing like uh, uh, um, fertilizing, like liquid fertilizing applications, can you add like citric acid and stuff to it? To Do you think that'll do anything? Yes. Yeah. But then you got you got, you got to figure out all the ratios in your head about how much do I make this down? Do I put it down at 2.1? Because when I put in my 10.4 water from the city into this thing, is it going to level out to 6.4? You know what I mean? So you got to test everything and it can mm-hmm. be done. It can be done. There's a, gosh, I forgot the name of the company. There's a company that makes a soluble water fertilizer with acid built into it to lower your pH. It's strictly designed for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, planet, planet, planet Marvel. I think that's what it's called. Fertilizer. Interesting. Yeah. So if you don't go that route, um, what's, what's, what are, What's one of the best ways to get um, your pH adjusted? Uh, your soils are super acidic. What What's your go-to for warm season or I guess well, even cool season? Yeah. So if your soil is low and you want to bring it up, you know, you do the lime. It's, for mm-hmm. me, it's a lot more easier to bring up your pH, but you really want to aerify it. You know, you want to aerify, but you don't want to aerify too deep that you're way down there below your roots and you're throwing all your, your lime in the holes and it's going way down there and the roots can't really get there. And it doesn't, doesn't change the, the, the root zone profile for you. You know what I'm saying? So you don't want to go real deep with that, but if you aerify it, that's the best way to get that lime in the soil quicker instead of just throwing it on the ground and you get a heavy downpour and it's all down the drain and run down the street, you know? So that it's a lot easier for me, I think, my opinion, to raise the pH than it is to lower the pH. Lowering the pH, you would do the same thing, but you would use sulfur. But it would take years and years and years for you to do that, you know, if it's way off a of whack. So it's, it's, um, would I don't it know. almost be easier to, depending on the resources for the homeowner, doing a full renovation and putting down, you know, 50 pounds or I don't know the ratios, but a lot of sulfur or a lot of lime tilling it in and then doing renovation. Do you think that would be worth it for them? Yeah. Yeah. You can do that and then test it mm-hmm. and test it before, you know, level it off, throw some rye down there or something just to hold the dirt in there in case you get a washout or something, but then test yeah. the soil and see where you're at. If you're happy with it, and then you can sod seed or whatever. It's, it's real easy to kill rye. Cause you know, you got that MS turf and, you can put out there for $40 a bottle. I'd be like six acres, you know, you can kill the rye off with that, you know, you know, instead of using a roundup. Uh, and then you can go from there, you know, get your soil right. Uh, you could also, if, if you're, if you're really high, you can airify and then top dress and fill all the holes up with sand and kind of break it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Kind of make a, the, the sand, you know, have a lower pH and your soil being a higher pH. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of different things you could do. I mean, if you, if you have the money, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of things to do, but uh, if you can't, then you just airify and top dress, you can airify and top dress the soil and, and do a pH thing on the soil and, uh, and add that and incorporate it into your native soil in your yard and try to correct it that way. But I would first, uh, there's some really good guys on my pro turf talk and, and they've done all this stuff. Uh, they use different chemicals to bring it down and raise it up. And a lot of stuff I don't worry about too much with, 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 with what I have, because I just pick the fertilizer that works best for the pH, you know, so you don't want to use too much that's sulfur coated fertilizer. Mm-hmm. You know, if your pH is, is, uh, is, is too low, you know what I mean? Or vice versa. So ammonia sulfate, you know, if your pH is too low or, or anything like that. So, I combat it with that, but, uh, yeah, I haven't put lime down or, or, uh, or sulfur down in a long time. So you made a good point, um, which a lot of people, I don't, I don't think, uh, and, and if, if you do think this way, then that's great. But I, I think a lot of people don't understand that it's not a quick fix. You know, we get a soil test, we see the pH for like, oh, we, you know, our soil test says I had 25 pounds of, you know, you know, lime and, um, they're like, okay, great. Like I probably fixed it, but then they checked their soil test and it went down like a, a 0.01 or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you're not going to change it overnight. 
what do you recommend? Um, like, is there a max rate that you should be applying your lime? Like if someone's just doing, going down to local hardware store, grabbing some lime, putting it down to correct the pH. Um, is it like, is there too much that you can put down as you like top dress yeah. it with? Yeah, but the, it's either way, either too much sulfur or lime. I mean, you can actually burn your turf. You know, I, I don't know what the, the most you can put down, but I think it's 20 to 30 pounds per thousand square feet. And, and don't, don't hold me to that, but you know, that YouTube, uh, you were talking about the pro turf talks, YouTube channel. There's a thing on there about pH. It was our last episode, which we probably did last month. And, um, there's, uh, I think there was two professors that were on there that, that really know a lot more about that than I do. Uh, yeah, I so just listened to that out. and I actually sent it to Vince earlier yeah. this week and yeah. it was, it was a good listen. Uh, it really was. Yeah. Did you have anything else you want to add about warm season? Well, it depends on what type of Bermuda you want, you know. So, you know, you, you can start with the seed variety. You can also pre-germinate your seed and toss it out there and top dress it. Um, yeah. So just w- with me, I fertilize more often than a homeowner. I don't know how often you guys would fertilize your yard, you know, uh, once, a, once a month or if you spoon feed it, you know, every two my, weeks. My front, I do a spoon feed program. Yeah. So, you know, it's – it's uh, you know, I fertilize, I fertilize quite a bit, uh, granular. I don't do too much spray, but, uh, yeah, that's how I get, get it going. But, uh, yeah, warm season's a heck of a lot easier. I mean, I dealt with cool season my whole life. And once I went to, once I went to the Panthers, I really got involved in the warm season, but we did warm season towards the end of the, my years with the chiefs and the Royals. Uh, but yeah, it was totally a whole different ball game. I was like, holy heck, all I had to do is move, you know, a thousand miles away from Kansas City and I'll be in warm season and life is <laughs> so much easier, you know. But yeah. it's fascinating that they make um is it is it Tahoma that's cold tolerant? Yeah. Yeah. Or, well it must be if they have it in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't I don't think they put Tahoma there to keep. You know, most most NFL fields you put Tahoma or you put any type of grass in there, it's coming back out. I didn't have that luxury when I was with Panthers. All right. So what I had in the Panthers stadium stayed there throughout my whole career there, the five years I was there. Uh, yeah. So I didn't have that luxury of, I got the sprig once and that's when I used Greg Norman uh, Bermuda in there because it, it, uh, it covered in four weeks and we had games. Uh, Carolina State it was hard to grow grass in because Jerry Richardson built the stadium straight up. So I only got like three hours of sunlight. In, the mid, the mid, in summer, midsummer, only got three hours of sunlight because the stadium was built straight up. There was always a shadow cast on there, you know, and he took out the heating cables, and the heating cables really tell with the warm season what time to wake up, you know. And, you and now they have things of portable grow lights and, and everything oh, yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Like they game changers. Yeah. Yeah. Big time game changers there. Yeah. Travis Hogan uses those. Yeah. What field, uh, what field for that? What's that? Who's Travis Hogan? Yeah, Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. Yeah, so he's he's probably got the best field in the NFL. I mean, you know, footing wise, every time I watch it, I can't can't see any divots from from first game to the last game. I don't know if you guys ever watched the Chiefs. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, on TV, it's 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 a really nice field, um, and they have heating cables, and if I'm not mistaken, and he uses the grow lights toward the end of the year. Yeah, so everybody building stadiums now, they're just building them practically straight up because they want to get the viewer, you know, the, the 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 people in the stands, the best view of the field they can, but they don't know or realize that they're they're really hurting the the turf. Right. You know, that aspect. Hmm. But yeah, the cool season. Cool season, the only thing I can say about the cool season is when you if you're really fighting disease on cool season. If you, if you, I don't know if you, too many of you guys have, have heard this in the past or not, but if your temperature and your humidity both equal, if you add them together and they both equal 150, right? Your humidity and your temperature. And you add them together, if it comes out to 150, it's time to put a preventative down. So that's, that's my telltale sign of when I got to start to spray. If it gets more than that and I wait a couple of weeks, I'm not spraying a preventative anymore. I'm spraying a curative, you know, which is a lot more money. But you also have to turn on your irrigation to knock the dew off. So all diseases and fungus and everything starts in the morning dew. 
And if you leave it on there to dry, the next day it's already concentrated. It's going to get worse and worse and spread, you know, after mm-hmm. you mow, stuff like that. So if you can go out there and say, hey, I've got rotors and they take two minutes to go around, I'm going to set a strength system up at three o'clock in the morning for two minutes each zone. And you, that will knock it down. You know, you'll knock it down. You'll be so much further in the game for fungicides and stuff like that. Uh, you'll save so much money in your back pocket too. So that's just that's, that's a really interesting uh, equation there. I've, I've never heard that before because um, I know for me it's like okay, once you get into May, you start putting down preventatives, um, yeah. and that's probably not you know that's not hitting that one fifty degree Fahrenheit mark. Um, so I mean that again. Speaking of money, if you're waiting until June, July mm-hmm. to to put down a preventative, you're saving a couple hundred dollars of, of fungicides and you're not putting down products that you don't need to be putting down. Yeah. Yeah. In the cool season, I would spoon feed it during the hot times of the year. If you don't need a fern, I wouldn't fern at all. You know what I mean? So the worst thing is about the insects and, you know, in the insects and stuff like that. So I always watch the birds. Okay, the birds are not in your yard or on your turf or in your grass or on your field for no reason at all. They're not just out there walking around. <laughs> they're getting something out of your turf. So if they're right. on your field, they're eating something. So what I do is if I don't exactly know what they are take, flying away with in their mouth, you know, unless it's real big and I can see it, um, I, I spray a preventative. You know, I, I'll use like a merit and uh, – I'll use I'll use a, a curative and a, and a, and a uh, stem, uh, what I want to say here a systemic, and I mix the two, right? So I use like a cross check and uh, what's another off brand merit? God, they changed cross check bandit. I would mix the two, all right. I might have those wrong, but it's a merit and a tempo, and I would spray. And I would leave it on there for 12 hours. And then I would water heavy for it to go down and get the grubs and whatever's in there, the cutworms, mm-hmm. the worms, everything in the fat. So I'll leave it on top. So I'll use that same type of insecticide. And that's a cheap route. And that's, you know, that's a very cheap route. I, I don't have the luxury of watching for damage because I've got big guys out there hitting mm-hmm. each other on the pool and, and their cleats are going to show you know, show the insect damage way before I'd see it with my eyes, you know, but uh, yeah, and the, the home is a real challenge. But. That's, that's, I, I shook my head and put my head down because I, in the early summer, uh, late summer, uh, I had probably one of the best mows I've ever had. The lawn just looked mint. I uh, sent it to the guys. I was like, guys, look at this. <clears throat> and then I start seeing a lot of bird activity. And I was like, what, why are all these birds coming to my lawn? Like, what the heck is going on? Um, and I'm watching it. And then within a day or two, I'm like, I'm starting to see some brown spots. It's like, uh Oh, so I went out there and did my, you know, dish, dish soap and water test and stuff. And sure enough, I had sod web worms, um, yeah. and some army worms. I had, I had both in there. Um, and I was like, this is, this is crazy. Um, yeah. and they, they damaged a lot of the, a lot of the turf. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's it's it's a, I mean, it's a great point. Watch the birds, watch what's going on, and they'll lead you to, to what's going on underneath. Yeah, yeah. I think those are both two good, really tips. The uh, just even if you're not irrigating that day, run your sprinkler just enough to have them go around once. You know, it hit the dew off the grass and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then look for the birds. Those are two simple things that people can do right there. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So we are going to switch gears. We are, we were talking about warm season grass. Now we're going to get into the, uh, the cool season grass. Um, you know, this is our, this is our bread and butter. This is where we have most of our, um, experience. And, um, but yeah, so for the homeowners trying to, um, start their lawns up for spring, I see, uh, most of the time it's, you know, they're grabbing soil tests, the after soil tests are going to, uh, start applying fertilizers. Um, one thing that I tried to do last year differently is I used to just go in there and be like, Oh, it's springtime. I'm going to put down a pound of nitrogen because my soil test says I need four pounds of nitrogen this year. So I'm going to get one pound right now. And then I'm out there mowing every other day. Um, do you, what's, what's your recommendation for a homeowner that's, that's 
going out there. Um, they're gung ho. They got their new balances laced up. They're ready to get out there and start fertilizing. Um, you know, what's a good rate? Should they do a quarter pound and just let spring do what spring does? Um, is it a half pound? Yeah. I mean, I would do anything from a quarter to a half, you know? Um, I always, I, I still, I, I never spray a pre-emergent. So in the springtime, when I had cool season grass, I always aerified, overseeded, and then fertilized. And I never, I would never start off with a pound, even though everybody says, oh, you really want to kick the blue, you know, the bluegrass and get it growing, you know, kick it, kick it hard with a pound, you know, I would always go in at about a half a pound, you know, and it's nothing for me to drop another half pound two weeks later if I don't see the results that I'm happy with. You know, and what are you using? Are you using like a quick, like a quick release? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's quick release. Now more, more these this time this time of year, I'm using anything with a fifty percent uflex to kind of get kind of stretch it out to six to nine week residual, you know. But in between, I would still hit it. I'll hit it with a quarter, you know, a quarter pound or a half pound. I'll still hit it. And I want to get some contact in there to give it a push right off the bat, you know. So I I I, I kind of layer it. My fertilization is layering. You know, when someone asked me last week, how many pounds of N do you put down a year? And I said, it varies. And they're like, no, 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 you got, you know, and I keep really detailed records. You know, every year I've got these little book I write things down in. But some years I'm putting 12 pounds of N down. You know, the, the a full warm season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the field is really loose and it's, it's not tight enough for me, but I'll put down 12 pounds. Now at the Colts, I had... Uh, 3D sod blend, so it was all bluegrass. Uh, got all my sod from Signet Sod. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Signet Sod. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know if they're in business anymore, but they had really good grass, and they did most of the NFL fields. You know, they did Chicago, all the cool season season turf back in the day. But uh, yeah, so I would I would come in and uh, never put pre-emergent down on my fields at all because I never know when I have to overseed to compensate bare spots down the middle of, you know, the NFL fields. Cause the NFL fields is only 18, six that they play on. So everybody's right there in the middle of your field. It's not like college where you have a whole team on one left hash or the right hash, you know, they don't even get near the left hash or the right hash, you know, so it's, it's a lot easier for college to, to do that because the wear and tear is more or less set on both sides with wider, wider hashes. But, so I've never used pre-emergent at all. So I always seed it in the spring and in the fall. So that's what I would do. I would aerify, overseed at a pound of bluegrass, sometimes two pounds. Sometimes I go overboard. And then I would top dress, and then I would fertilize. And I would go in at a half a pound. Uh, there's some occasions I would go in at a full pound. But uh, I would start off slow. And then in summertime, I would just wing it. You know, if, 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 uh, if, it's, if it's not growing as, as well as I want it to grow, you know, I would fertilize it, but the more fertilizer you put in the summertime, I found out that I just got more diseases. I mean, I, I red thread would pop up. That's the very first disease you usually get in the cool season. If when you see red thread, I don't know if it, how it is for you guys and where the areas that you live in, yeah. but red thread is the number one first first fungus side of the year that always comes in, never fails. It's always red thread, and then from there it just escalates. You know, brown patch, dollar spots, pythium, fusarium blight. It just goes through the roof if you don't control it. You know, I, I, I noticed that. Yeah. Now, uh, have you? What, what are your thoughts on biostimulants? Uh, humic fulvic, sea kelp, uh, molasses. That's kind of like a huge thing in the DIY community right now. It's kind of blown up over the last few years. Did you? Did, yeah. you, did you use biostims uh, on fields? Yeah, I mean, back in the day when I was when I was in Charlotte, I used uh, stuff called Panacea Plus. So it's a biostimulant, right? But it's, I mean, it's mainly sea kelp. It was just out on the market. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Panacea Plus. Uh, oh, my gosh. I got 18-inch roots in no time with that stuff. It was phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. Sea kelp. Sea kelp, yeah. yeah. It was just regular sea kelp, so that's a biostimulant. And then there was another company that came out when I actually got into the state because our first year we played at Clemson University. I mean, you're talking about a heck of a field there. You know, you'd stand on one sideline, you'd look across the field, and you just saw shoulders and a head because the crown was like this at Clemson <laughs> University. It was so bad. You know, you look across the field, and you barely see a shoulder and a head, and you didn't know who was coming in the game or not. But, um, 
Yeah, they got rid of that crown. But, you know, that, that's the turn where you're running downfield. That was the field right there. You run outside, you're going downhill. But, um, yeah. But once we got once we got to Carolina, this company approached me uh, out of Florida called Green Relief. And it was really weird. The guy came in. He says, I'm going to explain this process to you. And I'm like, okay. He goes, we have this stuff called A. And it was just like, it looked like dirty toilet water. Right. And he says, we got this stuff called B. And it looked like more dirty toilet water, but more yellow. He said, and then we got this stuff over here we call C, which is plasma. And I'm like, plasma? And it looked like cow blood. Right. He goes, well, it's it's blood, but it, it feeds these two guys. That's in A and B. And I'm like, okay. So he said, what I want you to do is, and this is, he called it a biostimulant. You know, and I was in, I was in Carolina and, you know, I was, I was up for anything, you know, <laughs> just, you could have sold me in snake oil to grow grass in that stadium. <laughs> I to grow grass in that stadium. So what he did is he goes, you cannot let sunlight hit your sprayer and you cannot let fluorescent lights hit the sprayer. And I'm thinking, what the hell is this stuff? So he goes, just pour this and this to 140 gallons worth of water. So I thought, where am I going to pour this out? I need light and everything. And he's like, well, can you go underneath the stands in the stadium somewhere where it's dark? And I'm like, okay. Because when he shipped it to me, it came in real thick boxes. No sunlight could get in. It had handles, but no sunlight hmm. could get in there, right? And they were in these weird jugs. But anyway, I went in there and I, you know, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour A and B in here. And I'm going to put the plasma in here. And I'm going to go home and go to bed and come back in the morning. He goes, no, 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 you can't do that. And I said, why? He goes, because they just multiply. I'm like, right, right, right. So I pour A, I pour B, I pour plasma, and filled it up with the water and uh, put the lid on. Next morning, I came back. I actually forgot that I mixed it the day before. And I'm like, and then uh, Chris, Chris, he's, he's the head groundskeeper for the Dallas Cowboys. He goes, spin. What are you going to do with that shit in the tank? And I'm like, what? Oh, Yeah. So we went to go look at it, and I'm not kidding you. This tank was black, and it didn't start off black. And I called the guy on the phone. I said, hey, is this supposed to be black? He goes, what would you do? And I said, I mixed them. He said, yeah, it'll get darker. I said, I did it yesterday. He said, oh, my God, you left it in there overnight? I told you not to do that. I said, what do I do with it? He goes, go try to spray it. So I sprayed it on the field, and we had a Billy Graham crusade. So I sprayed on the field, didn't think anything of it, watered it and everything else, right? So Billy Graham came in for like, and I'm not kidding you, you can look it up. And it might have been seven to 14 days. They covered the field with terraplast. They built a big, huge stage, and it went long ways from end zone to end zone. And I knew I was going to lose underneath the stage, right? 14 days, two days after sunlight, it starts to go downhill. You got 72 hours, and that's it, Right. So they take the they take the, the stage off, and I already called guys to come in and sod cut it out, and they were cutting cut the sod, and they couldn't cut the stuff with a sod cutter. The roots were so thick, they bound up the blade of the sod cutter, and I am not. Oh my gosh! And it was from that green relief stuff. So I said, "Man, how does this stuff work?" And he said, "Oh, this this attacks the root." And then this one here attacks it, it, it eats it, and then that root gets wounded. So it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And and there's a picture somewhere. He took a picture, and he had a piece of sod, and the root mass, you couldn't see through it. It was so thick. So I just kept spraying that stuff like, like crazy. And that's what got me passed through the Greg Norman four weeks of sprigging. And then we had a game. That day, I mean, the next week and the next week on this Greg Norman. And then I don't know what happened to the company, but one day I couldn't get stuff anymore. Could not get the stuff. Don't know what ever happened to him. I still got his card somewhere. But I don't know what happened to the guy. But he had a product that was unbelievable. Either somebody bought him out and said, we're shutting this stuff down. You know what I mean? And I, I can't find a product anymore, but it's called Green Relief. So and you don't know what A and B and C were? Don't know what it was. He said it was kind of molecule. It was scientific, put together. And uh, 
God, you can ask, you can ask the people. I mean, Billy Ball, who's, who's, uh, he was Ed Mangan's assistant. He was my assistant there. You had, uh, Ken Schilling, who was with the Miami Dolphins for a while. They all left and they got jobs elsewhere. Terry Porch, head groundskeeper for the Titans. He was he was there. We used that stuff. Uh, you can ask anybody that was there with me how unbelievable the stuff worked. Sounds like some snake oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. Snake stuff. blood. It, it went off the market. It's kind of wow. like back in the day, they invented that pre emerge that killed everything, even wheat seeds. And it was only out for like six months. And then there was, I think it was called Team, T-E-A-M. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was off the market. And it, it would have knocked out every lawn chemical company in the world because <laughs> it eradicated all the weed seeds. And that was years and years and years ago too. But yeah, so. Who puts the kibosh on something like that? The EPA? I guess people that make the money that need to make the money that sell fertilizer or weed control, you know? Yeah. 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 So I've got, I'm wow. full of stories. I, you know, we can listen to them all day, Spin. This is <laughs> about yeah, a blast. <laughs> hey, um, we are going to wrap up here shortly, but I had one thing come into mind as you, as you just talked about the pre-emergent um, and, you know, stopping weed seeds and everything. This is a super popular topic. Obviously it's a big hate um, for a lot of the cool season guys um, because most of our stuff you can't just put down glyphosate and wipe it out. Uh, Poa, Potrivialis, Poano. What's what's your recommendation of keeping that out of your lawn in, in a cool season turf? If it's not too bad, if you're out there pushing your mower and you see it, bend down and grab it, throw it in your pocket because it's going to save your butt in the long run, right? But for cool season, there's really nothing that you can spray. I mean, because like revolver kills it for us on warm season, right? Mm -hmm. And simazine prevents it in warm season. I don't know what's out there for cool season other than your fingers. I don't know. Have you guys found a product that would that would take care of it? There's there's one one product called Poe Constrictor, and I don't know too much about the label. I've never used it. Um, and I think you have to do multiple applications of that. And I, I think that's through, I think it's through the fall, uh, I don't know, Andrew, if you've ever heard of it or not. I've heard of it. Does it, does it work on Triv or just Annua? I think it's just Annua. Yeah. Um, but then um, in the in the fall, I, I know people are using pre-emergence too, but like um, Barricade or uh, um, um I think they're putting that down in the fall for like some prevention, but it's not going to last until spring, I don't think. So I, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't figured anything out. It's like I have some triv out there that I'm just going to be digging up and and basically seeding. Yeah, I killed off for triv a couple of years ago. It was a losing battle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same way of warm season, you know. But only lasts till probably mid-April, and then the heat washes it out. But I yep. usually spray it out with a revolver. But then I got to worry about the seeds for next year. So then I come back in in February and hit it with simazine. You know, uh, atrazine, simazine, you know, uh, and I don't know if it's labeled for cool season grasses, but, uh, you know, you're talking about POA. You know, when I went to Germany uh, and did the, did the American Bowl there, there was a field right by the Olympic Stadium where Jesse Owens broke the record, you know, with Olympic record and stuff. There's a my field right there where Hitler gave a speech to a million soldiers. <laughs> and I had to put four fields on there. Uh, there's probably pictures on uh, probably on my, not my Instagram, but uh, my LinkedIn. But anyway, so this field was so big and it was 100% POA. <laughs> and you could take a soccer ball and roll it and it would roll forever. It wouldn't bounce or hop. This thing was like a pool table. And I, when I first walked out there, I was like, George, what the hell is this stuff? He said, <laughs> And I'm like, you're kidding me. This stuff is gorgeous. And it was like lime green, you know, mm -hmm. and they would spray and get a little darker, but not much. And it was like walking on carpet. Like you could put off this stuff. And this guy, he had a huge tracker and he had like a 20 or 30 foot boom, right? Huge uh, reel mowers, the gangs, we call them gangs. And he would start on one end of the field Monday and he would get to the other end of the field on Friday. And then next Monday, he would start again. That's how big this field was. 
but it was all poem. Hmm. And it was just unbelievable. And, and then the, we went out there and practiced. They practiced all week, both teams, Miami Dolphins and I think it was uh, uh, Denver. And not one did it. I was surprised because, you know, I'm thinking Poa, it's a shallow rooter. Shallow, yeah. Right. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just, it was gorgeous and not one did it. I thought this field would get tore up. Wow. And it was just, just awesome. So if you get all the Poa together, you can have a nice, really nice looking yard too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can't beat it, just embrace it. it. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a guy I talked to. Uh, he's a greenskeeper in, I think it's Ireland. And uh, we were talking about Poa Anya and he's like, we, we love it. Like that's what a lot of our greens are out here because yeah. it, it just works. Yeah. It's hard to kill. Yeah. You know, we, we can't kill it. You know, yeah, it's really hard to kill. You can't mess it up too much. So yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Andrew, do you have any other questions for uh, spin while we have them on? I don't think so. If there's anything you'd like to add spin, I mean, we would, love to hear more about anything but uh no this has been absolutely wonderful uh thank you for taking the time to talk yeah, to sure. a couple of diyers like ourselves i mean we are guys that try to teach people our knowledge and we get our knowledge from people like you so it's really nice to have you on and just give people the resources from the source itself so we yeah, appreciate no, it's it great to be here and thanks for having me guys yeah of course well, we can keep talking for hours, uh, but we're we're going to close this one out. Spin, hopefully we can have you back on here again. Uh, and if uh, there's some topics out there that uh, you think of that you want to hop back on the show, you're always welcome uh, at the Lawn Feed. Um, so, guys, again, uh, Spin Martin, um, go to his Discord, go to his um, social media channels and Pro Turf Talks, and they'll have the links for everything there. Until the next time, we'll see you guys later. See ya.